Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning or whatever day it is that you are listening to this. lot to talk about with the NFL, obviously. College football update. And I'm, I said something a while ago. I've been sticking to it, and I'm going to tell you why I think I've been right. SU now 2-0. Talk about that. And uh, a little hockey and a little baseball. Hot stove action coming up. The owners' meetings going on down in Orlando. But obviously, we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. And this weekend, they traveled to the swamps of Jersey to play the New Jersey Jets. Yes, it's the New Jersey Jets and New Jersey Giants. There's only one team in New York State. It's the Buffalo Bills. They are the state champion by default. But Sunday, they were more than the state champion by default. They get a huge win, a 45-17 win over the Jets, and it was a very good rebound performance for the Bills. Last week I talked about it. The loss to Jacksonville was the first real adversity that McDermott and Bean had faced from the outside because the team wasn't prepared and got beat by a much inferior opponent. So it was like a, a bad loss that they hadn't yet experienced and a lot of people wondering what's up with that. So to, to see that and to see the rebound was quite, quite good for the Bills. And, and Sunday, I, I thought it was important for a couple reasons of what happened. One, the biggest thing to me was the Bills go to halftime and, and they're leading 17 to three and, and they're in control of the game. They come out of the half, have a nice drive. Go down, get a touchdown to make it 24-3. A couple plays later, Tredavious White picks off Mike White, and they get the ball back, and they take it down, and it's another touchdown off a long drive. This one, though, the drive it was three plays. I say long is in yardage. A 36-yard pass, 49-yard pass, and a 15-yard run for Matt Breida to, to give them what was then a 31-3 lead. Then Levi Wallace gets into the act. He picks off Mike White, follows with another drive, and with six minutes left in the third quarter, it's 38-3. to The Bills in control of it. I-, I thought it was interesting the next time the Bills got the ball back, they start throwing it yet again, and Josh Allen throws his only interception of the game. Didn't like the play calling there. You get up 38-3, to you're in the third quarter. It's time to run the football. It's time to wind the clock. And I just didn't like the play call on, on first and second down throwing passes. It made no sense to me. But I think this was something that the Bills were trying to send a message to themselves that they wanted to blow out the Jets and they wanted to get back some of their swagger that they certainly had lost the week before. I mentioned Mike White, the Jets quarterback, a feel-good story from a couple weeks ago when they get a big win behind him. He throws for 400 yards. The following week against Indy, they they get the, him the ball the first, first drive. He brings him down for a touchdown, gets injured in that game, unable to come back. So now Mike White gets another chance. And, and remember, there's a lot of questions about Zach Wilson but one question shouldn't be who's the Jets' long-term plan at quarterback because when you take a guy second overall, the next three years, that guy's your quarterback. 
maybe the fourth year you might start to move up, but he's got three years. So as good as Mike White may have looked all along in, inside the Jets' offices, I guarantee it was all about Zach Wilson and what's the best way to bring him back. Well, outside of the Jets' building, there were a lot of questions about Zach Wilson and a lot of questions about whether or not Mike White was a better option going forward. I think on Sunday we saw that Mike White is what he is. He's a guy who who can play a little bit. He's not going to be anybody's franchise QB anytime soon. The four interceptions on Sunday. Oh, look, he does some good things. He gets the ball out quick. He, he, He seems to go through his progressions fairly well. But he's just limited with talent. If he, if he was a supreme talent, you would have thought that he would have been drafted much higher than he was. So he's a nice story. He brought the Jets some excitement for a minute in a down season. The Jets are once again a mess, although I think that they are building something. I really do. I, I think it's going to take a while. Joe Douglas, the GM, has done well in the drafts. Vera Tucker, their left guard, is a player. And if you put him next to Mekhi Becton, who's been hurt for much of this year, the left side of that offensive line has a chance to be elite. Now you continue to add to that. I I like the running back Carter. They've got some talent at wide receiver. The defense without Marcus May is not very good. They do have some players over there, Quinnen Williams, Mosley, there's talent, but it's going to take a long time and many more drafts for Joe Douglas. The question now is with the Jets is Robert Sala the guy? He's in his second. He's in his first year. He's in the second half of his first year. And the question I always ask of a young coach: Do you see progress? And where in the Jets are you seeing any progress? Rex Ryan this week or yesterday, I should say, went off on Robert Sala. The New York media has referred to Sala as Rex Ryan without all the Rex-ish stuff that comes along with it. And Rex got very pissed off in an interview about that and said, look at this guy's record. He's not good. I was actually good. It was pretty funny because Rex always likes to talk about himself and what he was. But it's ironic that he couldn't get another job after the Bills. Sala, though... He's struggling, and his defense is struggling. For a defensive guy, you wonder where the progress is and and, and whether or not they can make it. Jets have a lot of draft picks coming up from the Jamal Adams trade, so they're going to be in a position to, to really add to their team. I would expect this year's draft to be almost exclusively defense with another offensive lineman thrown in, continue building that offensive line and make that a real asset. For the Bills, Josh Allen was very good in this game. I mentioned the interception. That was the one down play. 21 and 28 for 366. He had two TDs. He did also uh throw the th- two TDs. One was to Matt Breida, who Matt Breida scored a touchdown on the ground, caught a touchdown pass. Matt Breida hadn't been active for much of the year. Brought in Sunday to give a little spark to the the backfield, Zach Moss dealing with the concussion, according to McDermott, had nothing to do with Breda being activated. But Breda brought a little something to it. But the big story of the day offensively for the Bills 
was the Stefan Diggs show. Diggs open all day long. I, I saw a very interesting tape the week before by Kurt Warner of the NFL Network. Kurt Warner broke down Bill's uh, loss to Jacksonville, and, and he showed how many times Josh Allen didn't get the ball out quick, didn't make a quick throw that could have been positive yardage and instead complicated plays. Sunday, it seemed that Allen was very much looking to get the ball out, looking to get the ball to Stephon Diggs. Diggs had eight catches for 162 yards. He did have a touchdown. Great catch on the touchdown. He also was targeted 13 times. So I'm sure... What we all may have seen by Kurt Warner was seen by Brian Dable and the Bills offensive coaches as well and coached Josh up to, hey, Diggs is open, get him the ball. Seemed to be a point of emphasis early on. Also, we had a reemergence of Gabriel Davis. Davis this year has been a little bit inconsistent with Emmanuel Sanders coming over and, and he's had some big games. Beasley, Diggs are going to get their looks. Gabriel Davis has been kind of the forgotten guy. Now, I don't think he's been forgotten within the Bills building because I think the plan will be next year for Diggs to work the slot and then Sanders and Davis to be on the outside because Cole Beasley's contract will be up next year. So I would expect that to be where they see Gabriel Davis coming. On Sunday, three catches, 105 yards. He gives them a little something down the field that they don't have without him. And one catch in particular, the sideline grab, was was a really great, great piece of concentration. Really liked what he brought. Another guy who looks to, in my opinion, have his role expanded next year is Isaiah McKenzie. And, and after the game, McDermott talked about how great it was to see McKenzie score a touchdown. It was on the ground on a jet sweep. McKenzie's a guy who I think can play the Cole Beasley role. So I think he does a lot of things. He returns punts, kicks. You could use him in jet sweeps. He could catch the ball, play out of the slot. I think Isaiah McKenzie is somebody next year again we see more and more from. Now, there's always a chance the Bills draft a wide receiver, so a lot of what I'm saying could change. But I I think these are things going forward where the depth of this team can certainly be looked at as a very much a a positive. Bills were 4 of 7 on third down, a very good stat, and a stat they haven't had big success with. Now, they ran the ball 24 times. They spread it out quite a bit. They didn't have a ton of success on the ground. Singletary was their leading rusher with twenty-four or with forty-three yards. I still want to see them run the ball better, but I think it, it is what it is right now for the Bills. They're not a physical team up front. They don't have a particularly physical running attack, although Zach Moss did have some good, strong runs in this game. I think they're very much a finesse team, and that's one thing that scares me going forward, but I'll get to that in a minute. Defensively, the Bills did some things that you didn't really expect them to do. The Bills' five-man secondary each had a turnover. The four interceptions, Tredavious White had one, Levi Wallace had one, Jordan Poyer had one, and Taron Johnson had one. And then Micah Hyde recovered a fumble. 
that's pretty impressive. And the strength of the defense is certainly that defensive backfield. They are very good. Now, this was a game played without Tremaine Edmonds. And many people wondering how good Tremaine Edmonds truly is. He's a good player. Is he somebody that you keep long-term? And I, I personally don't think he, he is somebody that you pay a lot of money for. I think he's somebody, if he's on your team, he, he's a good player. But to pay him 12 to $15 million a year, I, I just don't see it. Matt Milano had a very good game. And A.J. Klein had a couple tackles for loss playing in place of Tremaine Edmonds. Now, Edmonds wasn't missed against the Jets. That doesn't mean he won't be missed long-term. A.J. Klein's not as good a player as Tremaine Edmonds. The question is, is Tremaine Edmonds elite enough to spend a lot of money on going forward? One player who looks as though he's turned the corner in his pro career and is really becoming the player he was drafted to be is Ed Oliver. Over the last couple weeks, Ed Oliver's played the best football of his young career. He had three quarterback hits on Sunday. He was a force in that game in the middle of the offensive or defensive line. And he did this without, without Star Latulale. Star missed the game after, and it was late in the game that he was taken out. Harrison Phillips got his first start of his career. And Ed Oliver is right now the best defensive lineman that the Bills have. He is playing excellent football. He's going to have his work put out for him this week when they play the Colts. But this is a very good sign going forward. So the Bills go into New Jersey, take care of the Jets, control the game, basically start to finish, get a laugher, and now you look at their schedule coming up. At 6-3, they're a half game ahead of the Patriots. The Patriots are at 6-4. The Patriots are playing better and better, and I'll get to what they did last week in a minute. But they're in the rearview mirror, and they're very close to to the Bills. This week, the Bills are a seven-point favorite at home against the Colts. Now, the Colts are a different team when they run it well. and I shouldn't say run it well. When they try to run the ball more, and they've done that. Five of their last seven games, the Colts have had Jonathan Taylor, their great young running back from Wisconsin, go over 100 yards. The Colts' record in those games, 5-2. and two. Now, the Colts started the season 0-3. They're 5-5. Five and five. They are fighting for a playoff berth like a lot of teams in the AFC. The Colts are going to present a very different challenge to the Bills than, say, the Jets did. The Colts are going to try to run it. They've got some speed on the outside, and Carson Wentz hasn't turned the ball over. He's inaccurate, and not, I, I just don't think he's as good a quarterback as he looked to be before the injuries early in his career. But he's capable. So this is going to be a very tough game Sunday for the Bills. If they stop Taylor, they're going to get the win. If Jonathan Taylor has success, they're going to lose the game. So, To me, it's about stopping the run. And I don't know, I haven't heard yet, if Starlo Tulele is a go. I think this is a big game for him. I think it's a big game to have Edmonds back if he comes back. Because, again, if he's your middle linebacker, your impact player, you need a game to stop the run. This is a game that those two players are going to be very important. 
Quick turnaround after that, the Bills go to New Orleans to play the Saints on Thanksgiving. Now, the Saints are a team without a quarterback right now. Trevor, Trevor Simeon played okay on Sunday against the Falcons, but it was one of those. It wasn't against the Falcons, my mistake. It was one of those games where you look at the the defense of the Saints, and that's the strength of that team. Without the quarterback being able to carry an offense, it's where does the offense come from, come from for New Orleans? So quick turnaround and stuff, and then the Monday nighter against the Patriots, and that game is going to be a huge, huge game. I expect the crowd to be immensely loud that night. So that's that's going to be fun. And then they travel to Tampa. So the next four games, incredibly tough. And I think it's important to look at this. The Bills have eight games left. The next six games are against teams with records of at least 500 or better. So the next six games are very tough. The last two are against Atlanta and the Jets. But with the Patriots having the resurgence that they are, the Bills, over the next six, they've got to go four and two, in my opinion, and then win the last two. If they get that, that's 12 wins on the season. 12 and five should be enough to win the AFC East if they take care of business against the Patriots. So really tough week coming up for the Bills. Not a good matchup because the Colts run it so well, but I think it's a game they can win and should win, then that quick turnaround on Thanksgiving going down in New Orleans, that one's going to be tough. But then they get 10 days, actually 11 days, to prepare for the Monday nighter against the Patriots. Around the league last week, the Thursday night game, Thursday nights have been weird forever. And you get some outcomes that you don't expect. Last week, the Dolphins ripped the Ravens, and, and it was... I think maybe the best thing that happened to Tua Tagovailoa uh, in his career. He didn't start because he wasn't healthy, finger quotes. But then when Jacoby Brissett gets hit, comes out of the game, Tua goes in. Oh, by the way, Brissett was healthy enough to go in, but Tua gave them a spark. And, and he led the team down the field, made some good reads, a couple good throws, put them in position, and the Ravens, who've been playing very good football, suffer a loss. It's going to be tough. That AFC North, every team above 500, you got to get wins when you can. I thought it was a lost opportunity for the Ravens, but maybe a really good and possible breakthrough performance for Tua because he needed something to get his team back on his side. It's just an interesting dynamic down there with all the trade talk with Deshaun Watson. If Tua can play like he did Thursday, he will be the Dolphins quarterback of the future going forward. The Cowboys, like the Bills, had a terrible loss the week before. Cowboys, like the Bills, came back last week and answered all those questions quickly. They ended up blowing out. Atlanta, 43-3. Now, during the week, tough loss for the Cowboys. Randy Gregory hurts his calf muscle. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Big pass rushing loss there. They end up using rookie Micah Parsons as a bit more of a defensive end. Let me tell you, Micah Parsons, if you haven't seen him play yet, this kid is having a heck of a rookie season. I know the Cowboys went into the draft thinking they were going to be able to get one of the two top cornerbacks in the draft. That didn't happen, but 
Parsons, their consolation prize, if you will, has been spectacular defensively. And I, I, I think there's this, too. As good as Dak Prescott has become, I think a lot of people have forgotten that Dak Prescott was a fourth-round draft pick. Remember, the Bills could have taken Dak Prescott in the fourth round, but with their second, fourth-round pick, they ended up taking Cardell Jones out of Ohio State instead. So remember that, that that's how well thought of or not well thought of Dak Prescott was coming out of college. That draft, Jerry Jones wanted very much to trade up to get Paxton Lynch. Yeah, the immortal Paxton Lynch. I'm throwing around names like Paxton Lynch and Cardell Jones. Dak now has become one of the better quarterbacks, I'd say a top 10 quarterback in the league. So the Cowboys draft is almost at its best when they can't get what they want, where they end up with somebody they didn't want, like Micah Parsons and Dak Prescott. It should tell Jerry Jones something. Stay the hell out of the draft room, you old coot. Crazy old coot. It's just really fun to watch. Matt Ryan had three interceptions. Oh, Tavon Diggs had another pick in that one as well. I mentioned the Colts get the win over the Jags, 23-17. Jonathan Taylor, another big, big day. Over 100 yards in the first quarter of that game. Really looking forward to to this week's Colts-Bills game. I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. The Patriots blew out the Browns. Now, the Browns get rid of Odell Beckham. They're feeling good coming off a nice win. They go into New England and got their asses handed to them. And the Patriots are playing good football. And I've said it a few times now. Mac Jones is is just getting better and better and better. And, and this kid's getting more and more of the playbook each week. The strength of the Patriots is that defense. Don't Don't let me get off track with that. However... Mac, 19-23, 198 yards and three touchdowns. He's accurate. He's smart. He's a competitor. He's everything that the Patriots hoped that he would be. And right now, thanks to the fact that Trevor Lawrence has got zero help on his offense, he is the best offensive rookie in the league. He's the best quarterback, rookie quarterback in the league. I do think Trevor Lawrence ultimately will be the guy. But right now, the Jags have zero help for that young man. And they've got to desperately improve the situation around him to make use of him. Joe, I hate to do this to you, but the Steelers and the uh, the Lions, my God. Ben Roethlisberger out with the COVID. And COVID is going to be a real factor. There's going to be a quarterback that misses time in a big game, possibly a playoff game. And because of that, this league is so unpredictable. We saw it last week with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This week we see it with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. Mason Rudolph just isn't a good NFL quarterback. The Lions aren't a good NFL team. This one, the Lions had a chance to win it at the end. Honestly, I, I could have probably come closer than whatever the Lions kicker threw up there. It was the ugliest game-winning attempt at a kick. It was it was like one of my really bad drives. It was like a shank. I, I don't know what it was. I really don't. It was like a 48-yard field goal, which in the NFL nowadays, yes, it's a long field goal, but guys are like 
85% on them. And if they miss, they miss by a little bit. I don't even know if this ball ever got high enough to go over the crossbar. Even the Lions kicker sucks. What a mess Detroit is. So, yeah, a tie in the NFL. And Najieris, just so you know, going forward, there can be ties in the league. And I love how much people hate ties. People hate them. It just pisses them off. It's great. The Titans, I mentioned, beat the Saints 23-21. The Titans are a team now without their bell cow, Derrick Henry, that defensively they're very physical. They have a chance to, to get home field advantage going forward. I'm not sure offensively, and it's not about Ryan Tannehill. A.J. Brown had one catch in this game. This is this offense is just so inconsistent without Henry. And, and again, I, I, it's not Tannehill. It's just all the things around it. And, and for the Saints, I give Trevor Simeon credit. He's playing about as good a football as he can play. They have a two-point conversion at the end of that game. If they make it, it's a tie game. doesn't end up happening. And the Titans continue to have the best record in the NFL. The Washington football team beat Tampa 29-19. How did that happen? I have no freaking idea. But Tom Brady threw two picks, and he was not happy after the game. Look, Washington's good. They've, they've got talent. Ron Rivera always is going to get teams to play for him. He did it in Carolina for years when they weren't that talented. Tyler Heineke is a guy who is extremely limited, in my opinion, but also does things that his teammates love. He's a guy who's going to continue to have his team behind him. They've got a good running attack with Antonio Gibson, who you see here, J.D. McKissick, UB's Jarrett Patterson is their third running back, guy who I think eventually will become a number one running back in the league. There is a lot to like about Washington, but the one downside of this win Their best defensive player, Chase Young, the number two pick a year ago out of Ohio State, suffered a torn ACL in this one and is out for the season. Tough, tough loss. It's not about this year to me with Chase Young. It's about him getting healthy and going forward and being the guy that I think he can become because he reminds me of a Hall of Famer that wore number 78 in Buffalo years ago. That's how much I think of Chase Young. I really think he's a spectacular young player. As for Tampa, I don't know. I, I just I'm I'm befuddled by that loss. They haven't been great. It seems to be the midseason swoon that a lot of Brady teams have had in the past. But generally in November, Brady teams get hot, start playing very good football. This one is not. So we'll see where it goes from here. Cam Newton signed with Carolina after they had to put Sam Darnold on IR. And, and when it did, you kind of thought, okay, good for Cam. He gets a chance to get back in the league. What's he going to do? P.J. Walker is going to be the starter. How much are they going to use him? Well, Cam Newton was really, really good last week in a couple plays. His first two plays, a touchdown run, touchdown pass. He had... The emotion, yelling, I'm back, I'm back. The teammates got into it. And Arizona, who had only one loss in the season coming in, they just were flat. They lose Colt McCoy to an injury, so now they're down to the third-string quarterback. They don't have 
Kyler Murray, Hopkins, and of course JJ Watt. So you wonder is that are they going to get those guys back in time to turn things back around in what's a very tough division in the NFC West? The Vikings have lost close games all year. So while I was watching the Vikings and Chargers play on Sunday, I kept waiting for Justin Herbert and the Chargers to get back into that game and to get the win. Didn't happen. Herbert has struggled a little bit in the second half of, well, I shouldn't say the second half, the last few games, except for one, he hasn't played all that well. I wonder... As I watch him, and I've watched him a couple times because I think he's a great young quarterback and I love watching him play, I don't think it's him that's the problem. I think it's the scheme that's the problem. I don't think there's talent there around him, but I don't think they know how to use him yet. He only threw for 195 yards. Very, very strange. Oh, by the way, i got to say this about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins never gets credit for being a good quarterback. He's playing pretty well, and he is what he is. He's limited. Nobody's ever going to talk about Kirk Cousins being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But Kirk Cousins does a good job. And for the most part, in most games, Kirk Cousins is going to make enough plays to allow your team to win if you have a solid team around him. There's a lot worse options than Kirk Cousins. He's done a pretty good job over his time in Minnesota, and I think he deserves maybe a little bit more respect than he gets. Philly went to Denver, blew out the Broncos. The Broncos come off that big win against the Cowboys, go back home against a Philly team that you look at and you still don't really know what's there. And Philly crushed them. Jalen Hurts played a really good game. Devontae Smith looks like he's going to be a – the comparisons were coming out of Alabama – Marvin Harrison, and I would expect those to continue as he continues to have success. So really good stuff there for the Eagles. Packers played Seattle, and this is one where Rodgers comes back after missing a week. Packers offense looked like Rodgers was still out. He did not play well. Seattle has Russell Wilson come back after missing all those times. And I literally was thinking maybe it's time to put Geno Smith back in. Russell Wilson got a lot of credit for the work he put in to get back on the field. We all saw him running through those fake no ball, no players, two-minute drills. Yeah, well, Russ, I'm here to tell you, it's a lot different with the defense out there. Didn't look good. Really, really strange. And one of the best things that happened to me in this game was – when DK Metcalf got ejected for throwing a punch, by the way, DK Metcalf can't let that happen. Can't get ejected. He's too valuable. But then he tried to go back in the game. The ref's like, no, you've been thrown out. Like, how did, dude, when you get thrown out of a game, how do you try to go back in? I mean, at least Bobby Valentine threw a fake mustache on and sat in the dugout in sunglasses. I mean, come on. You got thrown out. You can't go back in. So wait, I got thrown out for the entire game? I thought it was just for one play. Like, seriously. I, Najee Harris not knowing overtime is way better than DK Metcalf not knowing that an ejection means he can't play anymore. I really wonder sometimes if these players have ever seen a football game that they haven't played in. 
the Chiefs and Raiders were the Sunday night game. And the Chiefs who struggled offensively, Patrick Mahomes didn't play well. Raiders just having a tough, tough year. They end up having a bad loss to the Giants the week after they released their top two draft picks from the previous year. Of course, the Gruden thing. But this one was all about Patrick Mahomes and the offense. 400 yards, five touchdowns for Mahomes. But I got to throw this out there about Derek Carr. Derek Carr, more than any other quarterback I've seen, has done things that I go, what is he doing? Fourth and seven, final drive, he'll slide after three, get up and just not want to get hit, I guess. Throw the ball up for grabs in the middle of the field when the Raiders are still in the game because he doesn't want to get hit. I just don't know what's up with Derek Carr. He's he's had a nice year. He's a solid quarterback. But, man, I don't think he can win with Derek Carr. I really don't. And I think the Raiders would be better served with another guy under center. I don't know where you find that guy. So you're stuck with Derek Carr. But, man, just watching some of the things he's done really makes me question his motives at times. Apparently the Chiefs are back now. So all those questions we can put to bed. Uh, 49ers last night. Impressive. I've been very critical of Kyle Shanahan. His game plan last night was perfect. And I think it was exposed the week before that the Rams aren't exactly a very physical football team. And you can out-physical them and and maybe run the ball at them and, and take some of the advantage of having such a great, two great players, now three with Vaughn Miller, rushes the passer much better than he plays the run. Aaron Donald, one of the better pass rushers in the history of the game. You're gonna, he's going to be impactful in the run game, but you can mitigate that much more so than the pass game. And, of course, Jalen Ramsey, who's the best cover corner in the game. But if you run the ball at them, you mitigate the impact of those three superstars. The other thing that happened last night, and the 49ers, by the way, ran it 44 times. Time of possession in the game, the 49ers had it for over 39 minutes. But the other thing, of course, Odell Beckham goes to the Rams. They had lost Robert Woods. First play of the game, they throw a little hitch to Beckham to get him involved. But on the first drive of the game, Matthew Stafford scrambles, throws the ball down the field to Beckham, who stops on his route. And the ball's an easy interception. Welcome to the Odell Beckham experience. He'll make great catches, but he won't always be where he's supposed to be. And that's the problem with that guy. It's not his talent. A lot of times it's not his effort. It's his freelancing that causes problems. And it can't happen in a big game in a tough spot. And it did last night early. And I thought things spiraled from there. You saw drops, Cooper Cup. Higby, the tight end, had a drop that was essentially turned into a pick six. Just a bad, bad night for the Rams. And actually, that's two bad nights in a row going back the week before to the Tennessee game. And losing Robert Woods, if you're a Bills fan, you remember Robert Woods being a very good wide receiver, a guy who loved to block. I remember interviewing him at Bills camp one time and talking to him about his love of blocking. And he lit up like a kid on, on Christmas morning talking about hitting people. It was great. It was, it was fun 
because, yeah, it was a very mundane interview. And then I started talking about blocking and he got animated and he just loves to hit people. So you get that kind of wide receiver. It is huge. And he's been such a big part of what the Rams do offensively. And now for him to be out for the year, yeah, sure, they've got Beckham coming in there, but they're two totally different people. When's the last time you saw Beckham block anyone? Robert Woods is a team player. He's a heck of a player. And the Rams are going to be missing him in a big, big way. So another week in the books, another week that you kind of look at and go, I still don't really know what's going on in this league, and I don't really know who's good or who's not. I mentioned it, with Big Ben being out, the COVID situation is going to continue to be a huge part of the league going forward. Guys missing games because of COVID are going to be so impactful as we go through the season. It's going to be a huge, huge thing to watch, especially with the numbers spiking. Now, look, I'm not trying to get into a political COVID discussion here. I'm just saying the numbers are spiking. The league has rules in place. And because of that, when a guy tests positive and he's going to miss games, that's going to be a huge, impactful thing as the season goes along. Look at the Steelers. Without Ben, they tied the the Lions. That shows you how much can happen because of COVID. So something certainly to keep an eye on. There. I've never really seen so many quarterbacks miss a game and end up getting themselves back and not looking ready to play. We've seen it a couple times now. Dak Prescott, when he came back the week before against Denver, he missed time and, and just didn't look right. Russell Wilson looked awful. Worst game I've seen Russell Wilson play in his career, to be honest with you. Held the ball way too long, way too many times. Just didn't look comfortable, didn't look right. Aaron Rodgers didn't play well. And and they may have an injury with Aaron Jones that may put more on Rodgers' shoulders going forward. So another thing to keep an eye on. Whatever's going on with quarterbacks and the fact that if they miss a week, they got to come back and they're not maybe ready to come back and play. The AFC's going to be a dogfight for the wild card teams coming down the stretch. There are 16 teams in the AFC, and all but four of them are 500 or above. So that's 12 teams in very close competition for those four division championships and the three wild card spots. But that right there it means five teams with a 500 or better record right now, would be out of the playoffs. We've had years where teams won divisions without a 500 record. This year, two divisions have every team in the division at 500 or above. So really, really tough sledding in the AFC. And I pointed it out earlier about the Bills and the Patriots. Those two teams have separated themselves in the division. The Bills must at least split with the Patriots. Have to split. Cannot get swept in the season series. And and like I say, Mac Jones continues to improve. So really interesting stuff as we roll along. And and this is the time of year, too, with Thanksgiving coming up. And the three games on Thanksgiving – 
Teams still are on buys, and I think it's important to look at that because this is a good time of year to have a buy. It's been a long season. Your body's beat up. The fact that you get an opportunity to have a Thursday game and, and maybe 10 days off after, it's going to, the Bills are going to have a lot of time to prepare for that New England game. So I think that's an advantage there with them. College football has been very good. I've been saying this for a while now, that Notre Dame is going to be in the college football playoff. Now, last week, the college football playoff rankings had Notre Dame ninth. If you don't remember, Georgia, clearly number one. They're they're the team to beat. They are so far and above, in my opinion, any other team in college football that it's not even close. They, They should win the national championship fairly easily. So you've got Georgia, one, Alabama, two, Oregon, three, Ohio State, four. So those are your top four right now. Cincinnati undefeated is number five. One loss, Michigan, six. One loss, Michigan State, seven. A lot of controversy there because Michigan State just beat Michigan a couple weeks ago. So who should be there? I'll get to that in a minute. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number nine, Notre Dame. So I'm telling you Notre Dame is going to be in the playoff, and you're saying – If you look at it, they're ninth. How the hell are they going to jump all of those teams? Well, let's do some work on that, shall we? If you look at Georgia, they're number one. They're going to go undefeated. Alabama already has a loss. Alabama and Georgia are going to play in the SEC championship game. Georgia will beat Alabama. I'm confident of that. I know Alabama's history. I know Nick Saban's the greatest coach in college football history. They've got a ton of talent. But it's not an Alabama team like we've seen the last couple years. Still damn good. And the second best team in the country most likely. But they're not as good as Georgia, who's an all-time great team. So Alabama with two losses is out of the playoff. No two-loss team has ever been in the playoff. Oregon will get to the playoff. They played nobody. The Pac-12 stinks. They will be there. They have one loss, but they have that road win early on against Ohio State. So they get there. Ohio State has a tough last couple games before they play Wisconsin, most likely, in the championship game. You see, they play going forward. Ohio State plays Michigan State this week and then Michigan next week. I feel that they will win both of those games and Ohio State gets in. So I've just given you three teams that will get in. Okay, Alabama won't get in. Who's going to be the fourth? Well, Cincinnati's 9-0. They're certainly somebody who, along with Alabama, two-loss team, Cincinnati's going to go undefeated. They're going to be in the mix. So we'll put Cincinnati and Alabama in the mix. Michigan will be a two-loss team because they will lose to Ohio State. They're out. Michigan State, a two-loss team. They will lose to Ohio State. They'll be out as well. Oklahoma lost to Baylor. Oklahoma wasn't very well regarded anyway because the Big 12 is down this year big time. So they're out. That leaves Notre Dame, who will end up with having only one loss on the year, that loss being to Cincinnati. So now it comes down to three teams. One loss Notre Dame team who lost to Cincinnati, who's in the mix. That's a good loss. Cincinnati, who's undefeated, nobody really believes in them because of the conference they play in and the schedule they played. They did have that win over Notre Dame, but that's it. And a two-loss Alabama team. Well, you can't put the two-loss Alabama team in, so we take them out. 
comes down to Cincinnati or Notre Dame. Logic says Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, they deserve to be in. Logic would also say that Michigan beat Michigan State. I'm sorry, Michigan State beat Michigan, so they should be ahead of them. It shows the committee doesn't really care about head-to-head. It cares about the overall package. Never forget this. The four-game playoff is a reality TV show that needs to generate ratings to justify their incredibly high advertising rates that allow the college football playoff system to make tons and tons of money. Who's going to bring in more money, Cincinnati or Notre Dame? Again, Notre Dame will be the fourth team in. Been saying it all year. It's coming down to it. That's my case for it. We'll see, but Notre Dame is going to be the team in the playoffs. College basketball. Syracuse now 2-0. Sunday afternoon, and there was a lot of football on, so if you missed it, no big deal. I happen to watch it and enjoy it. They played Drexel Sunday afternoon. Drexel's a good team. Before you look at it and say, oh, here we go, another Bayheim cupcake. Drexel made the tournament last year, will likely make the tournament this year. Drexel led at halftime. But Syracuse, behind the strength of the three-point shooting, and that's their team this year. They make threes, they win games. 50% from three for the game. Joe Girard is yet to miss a three in the first two games of the season. Buddy Bayheim had 23 points. Jimmy Bayheim had 14. I was most encouraged by the two young men in the middle. Jesse Edwards, a starter, who I think will get better and better. Has a ton of length. And Frank Anselm. Anselm is, is an interesting guy. Second-year player. Has some talent. Has some skills. But these two guys combined for 14 points and 10 boards and 6 blocks. Jim Beheim, the other Beheim, if you will, would sign up for that all day, every day. Very impressive the fact that they've got two young men in, this, in the middle who are able to move their feet and and get impactful plays defensively, but can also catch it and finish on the inside. Uh, Yeah, I'm referring to the fact that Baranima Sidibe was there for 17 years, and he still can't do that. I know Sidibe may come back at some point. I Look, I like Barama, and I think he, if he comes back, that's just another guy that you put in the mix. But Edwards and Anselm actually give Syracuse a little something in the middle. They don't just take up space and clog up the offense. They have to be respected in the low post, which in a team full of shooters is very important. Syracuse plays Colgate on Saturday afternoon. Then they head down to the Bahamas for a tournament over Thanksgiving, and we're going to really find out how good they are in that tournament. Syracuse not ranked, remember. St. Bonaventure is. St. Bonaventure got a win this weekend as well. They beat Canisius in what was a battle at the Riley Center. And I loved what Mark Schmidt said after the game, talking about the old little three, or if you will, the big four, UB, Niagara, Canisius, Bonaventure. Mark Schmidt said these games always have to be played and always will be played as long as I'm here. That is great to hear. As somebody who went to Niagara when it was the little three and enjoyed these rivalries, I still enjoy the rivalries. Love seeing Bonaventure ranked. They're up to 22. I I think it's interesting right now that Bonaventure's ranked, and, and these rankings mean nothing, but they're ranked in Syracuse isn't. 
Interesting. Yet, if they played head-to-head, who would be favored in the game? On a neutral site. Say they played at Rochester, who do you think would be favored between Bonaventure and Syracuse? Just throwing it out there. But we'll see how it goes. The hot stove league is turning up the heat. You're starting to see some player movement. Eduardo Rodriguez was the first big signing. He goes to the Tigers. The Tigers... Last year under A.J. Hinch. Remember A.J. Hinch, the former Astros manager who got fired because of his involvement in the sign-stealing scandal? Well, he's in Detroit. Detroit had a very good second half. They've got one of the best farm systems in baseball. Tons of young talent. Now they go out and get a left-handed pitcher that will certainly eat some innings for them going forward. Rodriguez is a big loss, in my opinion, for the Red Sox. He had a nice bounce back. Remember, he was one of the players that did get COVID, had the myocarditis from COVID. So last year was kind of a lost year. This year, he was very solid coming back and now gives them a chance going forward to, to be a solid piece of the rotation in Detroit. And if you're a Mets fan like me, big news. It looks like somebody's going to take a job. Yeah, it looks like the Mets are actually going to get a GM. I'm I'm not going to jinx it until it's official, but at least somebody didn't turn them down. Let's just go with that. Mets potentially will lose Noah Syndergaard. Looks like he may sign elsewhere. Syndergaard looks like he's going to be signing with the Angels. Not sure about that one because there was a lot of questions about Syndergaard Two years he basically missed for Tommy John surgery. Did get in a couple games at the end of this year. As a longtime Met fan, I certainly hope he is healthy and can come back to the dominant pitcher that he once was. Unfortunately, now you look at the Mets and you look at all of the talent that they had for starting pitching. Zach Wheeler is going, oh, that is a big Big deal. We're just getting a report. Thank you, Joe. Jose Barrios, former Red Wing, is expected to sign with the Blue Jays for a seven-year deal. So that is a, a big deal going forward for the Jays. Great young team. Back to the Mets. Steven Matz is now a free agent, but he likely will sign to stay in Toronto after a very good year last year. Syndergaard, I mentioned, to the Angels. Zach Wheeler going to the Phillies. So all of that young talent, Matt Harvey pretty much washed out of baseball. All of that young talent and the pitching that they had, and the Mets only have Jacob DeGrom to show for it. And I say only, obviously DeGrom, when healthy, the best pitcher in baseball, was not healthy last year. A lot of questions remain about his health going forward. Uh, and lastly, the Sabres, and, and I'm very happy with the job Don Granado has done with the Sabres or, organization this year. He's, he's righted the ship, made them competitive, made them watchable. This past weekend was an interesting weekend because on Friday night they host Edmonton and Connor McDavid, and the Sabres got a win there. Saturday night, they had Toronto come in, and that was a hard-fought loss. So they split on the weekend. On the weekend, They were 500 now for the season. They're competitive. They're playing hard. They're doing a lot of things. They're, they're going to be a team that's a ways away. We knew that going in. But what's really amazing to me, this weekend, the borders back opened up. 
Connor McDavid's the best player in hockey. You get to see him once a year. They don't draw over 8,000 people on Friday night to see that game. Toronto comes in. You can't get a ticket to see the Leafs up in Toronto. But when they play in Buffalo, a lot of people from Canada will come across the border to watch it. There were less than 8,000 people in the building Saturday night. When things, when people stop going to a place, it's hard to get them to come back. The Sabres have been so bad for so long. There's so much disenchantment within the franchise fan base. I don't know what they've got to do to get people back. They're playing hard. They're playing competitively. They're not going to be a winning team. But man, the Pagulas have screwed this up. I know they got a dog now, Rick, and I love the dog. It's great to see the dog, but the dog isn't bringing people in either. Less than 8,000 people in a 20,000-seat building? It's like going to an Amherst game on a Wednesday night, and there's about 3,000 people there. Just a a, a tough situation, and I don't know when the fans come back. I I honestly think it's going to take a, a long time and a lot of success to get that building back to where it was before the Pagulas purchased it. Think about this, too. The Bills, as bad as they were, the fans were never apathetic. The fans still went. Sabres, it's a different story. Tickets are very expensive. There is a lot of resentment to how how the Pagulas have handled that franchise. And it shows with people not buying tickets. That's it for this week. Bills, Colts, we'll break that down next week. And anything else that happens in the world of sports, I'll be here for it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.